Hello. So normally we start with a little clip that didn't make it into the episode, but today we're going to do a little bit of a trigger warning. We do have a bit of a heavy topic ahead talking about philosophy of life and death. Um, There is mention of suicide, so just proceed with caution, or if you don't want to hear about that, this is probably the one to skip, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Subscurity, the podcast about obscure subcultures. I'm Jordan. And I'm Brenna. And today we're talking about antinatalists. So just a little bit of a warning. I feel like this can be a bit of a heavy topic if we make it that way. Uh, But I don't think it has to be. Like, I think we can have some good philosophical discussion. That said, I want to start with a happy grounding question so that we can start someplace positive. So what has been your greatest joy as a parent so far? <laughs> God, you gave me like a full trigger warning. <laughs> I know. And you're like, God, yeah. where is this going to go? Um, I mean, that's hard to answer, but I'm going to give you a little micro moment, if that's okay, which mm-hmm. is literally the other day, um, a very close friend of ours, both yours and mine, um, sent uh, my son for his birthday uh, a Brio train set and I, as a kid growing up, loved playing with Brios. Um, every birthday, my grandpa would bring us a new train set, you know, new new wood uh, track pieces and a new train or something. So I like accumulated this giant collection of Brio trains, probably most of which are painted with lead. But, <laughs> but, that explains it. Yeah, but I've been like storing those for forever, right? And um, now my son is like, finally of the age i guess to play with them so you know with the new trains that we broke out that and and all my old ones and started putting together and it was i was just like having that moment of kind of being able to reconnect my like some of my favorite childhood memories and like be reintroduce it to my son uh you know that was it was just really special yeah is this a heavy is this the heaviness that we're gonna encounter because i'm good with this so no i want to be able to go back to that and i think that'll I'm just interested to hear your uh, perspective on this. So the subculture I want to explore today, which you may have heard of, I'm not sure. Um, it's the philosophy of antinatalism. Uh, I'm familiar with a word, but I guess I haven't really. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's a philosophical position that assigns a negative value to birth. So fundamentally, um, there is no gray area. Everything is either good or bad Mm -hmm. there's no neutral it's not situational everything is good or bad and it's the moral belief that it's wrong to bring people into into the world without their consent and the basic tenet of any antinatalism is simple but profoundly counterintuitive it's that life even under the best of circumstances is not a gift or a miracle but rather a harm and imposition According to this logic, the question of whether to have a child is not just a personal choice, but an ethical one. And the correct answer is always no. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, like, that's tracking, but it's very profound to say it's they have to consent to being born, which obviously they cannot. <laughs> the unborn cannot, however you want to define them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That's an interesting perspective on on how to think about it's the reverse of 
uh, not and to get to a heavy topic, I assume, which is the one you're just like dancing around, but like abortion, where it's consent of the the of pe- of preborn, unborn, however you want to describe babies, to be terminated or aborted is the reverse of that, right? It's to be born this time. Kind of, yeah. So they're pro-choice, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, to your point, it's funny that was the first thing you picked apart because I think, yeah, that's kind of an inherent flaw. They're criticizing something that isn't possible. You can't consent right. to it. Like, that's just, it's just not possible. It's not the nature of how procreating works, right? right? But it's funny right. because I joke, like, sometimes I wake up and go to work and I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> sign me up for working until I'm 60 and doing this shit every day. Um, but no, I do think that's a fundamental, I would call it a flaw. They wouldn't, but you're ar- you're basically arguing that people can't consent to something that you can't consent to. And I also think, I guess I'm already jumping into criticisms of it, but you could argue it's classist. Um, mm. Like really, that's a luxury of wealthy people who have access to birth control and abortion services. services yeah, so. all of that stuff. So at any rate, um, yeah, antinatalism. Well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> My son just hit two years old. I can't wait. To, I've been reflecting a lot on his birth. Let's let's do this. I was debating this. I was like, oh, no, I know he just turned two. Um, but I do... I don't think it has to be super dark. You definitely can take it there. And I'm sure maybe some of our conversation will go there. But um, philosophically, I just kind of found it pretty interesting. Um, And I also find the timing interesting because we're coming off a decline in population growth off of the pandemic. And a lot of people thought we would have a baby boom and it's been a baby bust and birth rates in the U.S. have been declining steadily for years. And I think in Japan, too. Yeah, they have a huge huge uh birth rate problem yeah I, I was just hearing um my to show my liberal yuppiness i was listening to npr today of course <laughs> yeah and there was a story just about that of the the baby bus that the pandemic has caused and um specifically the the uncertainty that um they I mean as they said families but really women have felt um in terms of uh economic and mm-hmm. family and you know other uh, uh options basically um and and just the challenges of bringing a child into that environment and and how it's caused a decline in the birth rate and i think it's not to be confused because they they did bring that up um and in my research i did come across that like there are definitely people choosing not to have kids um a common reason you hear these days is the climate crisis just not wanting to raise children in the unsure world what climate change will bring um and then for other people, it's definitely about cost and exploding housing prices and they can, you know, barely afford rent as it is. Yeah. But that really isn't the tenet of antinatalism. Like they've always argued birth has always been wrong. Um, and it doesn't have to do necessarily with climate. It's that life is more bad than it is good. Um and as a result, you shouldn't cause someone else suffering without their consent, i.e. bringing a person to the world who will inevitably suffer. This is, it's such a purgatorial way of viewing. I know. <laughs> viewing life. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. We we talked in our last episode a little bit about 
uh, mental health issues. And I'm mm-hmm. familiar <laughs> with with the the feeling and perspective that all life is a meaningless grind towards a demise that cannot come quickly or painlessly enough. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> I don't feel that way today, listeners. I'm okay. Thanks for checking. <laughs> uh, but um, but that's a, that's to drive your entire philos- philosophy and how you view uh, the propagation of the species. That's an interesting way to like interesting place to take that. So it's funny you say that because it actually, it actually extends to animals. So, uh-huh. So <laughs> m- many antinatalists are vegan Sure. And they actually extend that to any sentient beings, if I remember correctly. So any animals that are like aware and uh, anyone who can feel pain, I think it was. I'll, I'd have to look through my notes. Um, but yeah, basically, they think we should eradicate all human beings and all sentient beings, including animals, because we all experience net suffering. And one of the beliefs is... Like, the examples they gave, I guess, were, what would you rather have? What's better or worse, right? Five minutes of the most immense suffering, would you rather um, have not experienced that? Or would you rather have experienced five minutes of the happiest moment of your life? And they argue that that suffering lasts and is much more prolonged and has more lasting impacts than the five minutes of pure joy. That's a extremely pessimistic way of looking at things. Um, but I say that and I'm just like, my initial reaction was, yeah, that's pessimistic. That's dumb. And then I think back to a couple episodes ago when I said, yeah, you were asking me about competition and I said the, uh, uh, that the, f- the, f- the feel when you lose <laughs> the competition mm-hmm. lasts so much longer than the high yeah. winning. So yeah. So I kind of I I kind of get it um I guess from where they're coming from but I'm still like I'm still confused. like you said they're they're mostly vegan or they're often vegan mm-hmm. and yet they want things to die No so they're not um once it's born it's okay kind of so I don't know if I'm going to do this justice but they're definitely not pro suicide I think yeah. with any subculture with anything we've talked about this you're always going to have extremists so I'm yeah. sure some people are but they do not propagate or um promote. promote the idea of suicide and most antinatalists don't hate children because they don't want to see them suffer so once they're you know people are here they believe you're you're here to still give them a good life, but we shouldn't be bringing in people beyond their consent. So, I, yeah, I'm not going to do it justice, but basically they don't want people to die. But since we are all marching towards inevitable death, <laughs> why would we want that to happen to anybody else? So it's it's a it's an act of love is what this is. It's an act of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's what they would argue. We love you so much. We don't want you to exist. It's coming from a place of compassion. Yeah. Like true, like truly. And I know that sounds bizarre, but let me tell you. So, um, in this term, antinatalism was birthed, I think in 2006 by a South African philosopher named David Benatar. Um, he published a book called, Better never to have been the harm of coming into existence. 
And while he's the one who kind of coined the term antinatalism, this philosophy has been around like for a very long time and goes back to Sophocles, um, Ecclesiastes. Like there are some quotes I can read you. So from Sophocles, he said, never to have been born is best, but if we must see the light, the next best is quickly returning whence we came. Um, so I think the sentiments have been around for a long time, but the term antinatalist is relatively new. So the past, what, 15-ish years. Yeah. I would, so I, I kind of want to challenge that. Not enough to you, but I'm assuming like the, those ideas of what ancient Greek philosophers said is something that they used to defend their perspective or, or to like kind of build consensus around the idea of their perspective or is that just separate research that that was just like a couple quotes i think just saying the um the philosophy itself or the thought process itself isn't new but that's just the terminology is new that's them saying that mm -hmm. yeah so <laughs> i guess my reaction to that is it kind of seems like they're picking and choosing. Like, how do we know Sophocles just wasn't having an emo day? You know, <laughs> right? But no, that's fair. You know I just I mean? think it's more the concept isn't yeah. brand new. I don't think it necessarily means Sophocles was himself an antinatalist right. and would identify with that philosophy if he was around today. I think it just means the concept has been out there, and I think we've put more guardrails and structure around it with the the movement kind of picking up steam in the past 10, 15 years. Yeah, no, and that's fair. I just like, <laughs> I just couldn't shake that reaction of like, yeah, well, I've listened to some Blink-182 and Green Day and SR-71 songs, which would also agree with that. <laughs> uh, right. Work sucks, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, Benatar, the South African philosopher who coined this term, um, he argues that most people are not as happy as you, as they think they are. So there are so many studies like the happiness index, um, just general polls of people. And it shows over time people have been getting happier for the most part. And when he you say thinks, over time, you, as in like over, over the course of someone's life, they get happier over, like over the course of this measure human like decades, human okay. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but he thinks people are mistaken and even happy people are worse off than they think. And thinking you're happy is just a coping mechanism with the fact that, life is more bad than it is good. Um, and he says, if people argue that life is meaningful, Benatar asserts that human life is cosmically meaningless. <laughs> it just sounds like he, he wants, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm having like, maybe this is my defensive posture of like, I'm trying to convince myself that I'm happy. And I'm yeah. coping. Right. But I, it's like, I'm having a hard time hearing that and not hearing someone who's miserable and trying to tell everyone else you're miserable too. You just don't know it. Well, I like that one actually resonates with me yeah. because I, I know you think I'm the pessimist between the two of us. No, I, I don't think that, but I know that <laughs> <laughs> I'm a realist. Okay. But no, that's something I've thought about a lot is, and I think most people do, what is the meaning of life? And if you're a religious person, I think that can be easier for you because there's um, an afterlife or higher um, enlightenment you're trying to achieve, generally speaking. Uh, but for myself, I would describe myself as agnostic. And um, so, yeah, I, I would agree. Like, I, I doubt that there's anything after this. I'm hopeful that there is, but I just realistically, I think that's, probably true there is no meaning so you have to create meaning in life and it's to 
have good memories. It's to make friends. It's to help other people. And that's how you find meaning in life. But he argues the fact that you have to create meaning is awful. The fact that life is not inherently meaningful is a bad thing. Yeah, but I mean, he's already, he's applying a definition of quality to that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I feel like I'm about to get to Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance on this, but like, um, like I, I guess I just like my nature is to reject that perspective that lack of meaning is inherently bad. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, you and I have talked about this. I, I think we come from a similar perspective in terms of our our beliefs of purpose and mm-hmm. and the unknown greater beyond <laughs> that we both don't follow a, a path on but god i hope god using the terminology but like i sure hope there is something beyond this because right. I, i'd like i'd like there to be more than just my brief existence on earth um but that doesn't like not having that security or even having even if i was confident that 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 there wasn't something else i don't think that in in and of itself is at least for me, I, I can't, I don't see that as inherently terrible, if that makes sense. I, I, I think it's okay to say it just means there isn't, there is no meaning and I, and I have to make meaning, but not having meaning is not a negative. It's just a fact. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I wish I had more time to research this because there's actually a lot out Mm -hmm. there about antinatalism because it is actually a growing movement and subculture and philosophy. Um, But like all these holes you're poking into it and all these kind of arguments, he has arguments for all of them, which (laughs) which are kind of resonate. And he explains them in a pretty logical way. That's hard to counteract. Um, And just before I forget, I do want to note, so I was talking about how I think it's probably easier for people who are religious to find meaning. Uh, However, I want to note, because you would kind of think, you might assume that um, it's only atheists who are antinatalists, but no, there are religious people who are antinatalists too. So it doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with um, theism or atheism. And in fact, Buddhism is fundamentally antinatalist. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. Um, and I should have done more research on Buddhism because um, I didn't dive too deeply in, into that. And my my knowledge is only kind of peripheral. But yeah, fundamentally, Bud- Buddhism is antinatalist. Okay. And I think, ugh, again, I don't want to misrepresent this, but I think one of the core tenets of Buddhism is they don't want human suffering, right? Right. Absolutely. Right. And that human suffering... Uh, follows you right so um yeah i and i i don't doubt that he has responses um i think i need to find a way to stop being defensive about this because (laughs) i you know i feel like under attack for being optimistic about things but um but and so i don't doubt i mean if, if any philosopher worth their weight in words always has you know, a logical consistency that they, they use to kind of explain their position. So um, I'm sure yeah, he's, he's a persuasive, he's got a persuasive kind of pers- persuasive perspective, but. And it's honestly like not, I, I actually listened to another podcast where they interviewed him mm-hmm. and you would think he's a super kind of like nihilistic, pessimistic guy. Mm-hmm. And he isn't, he really just doesn't come across that way. Like he's not, 
as pessimistic as this kind of sounds, even just hearing what it is, it's just his pragmatic. It does. It's a very pragmatic way of how he looks at things, even if I disagree with some of the points. And um, I want to outline the it's called Benatar's asymmetry. And the premises are this. Number one, the presence of pain is bad. Number two. Okay, I agree with that one. Yeah. Presence of pleasure is good. Seconded. Uh, number three. The absence of pain is good, even if that good is not enjoyed by anyone. Okay, I'm following. Whereas, number four, the absence of pleasure is not bad unless there is somebody for whom this absence is a deprivation. Okay. So I think that gets into life is net bad and you cannot prevent like overall human suffering. Um, I'm again, I'm not going to do that justice, but it's kind of this logical flow of you will suffer, and it's better to not be born and not suffer than to be born and maybe have pleasure. I think is kind of yeah. what he's getting at. I mean, that sounds like what he's saying, but it's just. I've it it just seems such a diametric opposite to the whole philosophy of consent that he's saying life did not consent to be born mm-hmm. into this world of suffering but my argument would be life did not consent to not being born in in that sense you know what I mean like but then you could use that for like yeah an, I know I, I know I, yeah I can see where that that unravels you know what I mean absolutely yeah. but like but this, but it, the debate I feel is not about what whether a bunch of cells are life at this point. It's whether or not life itself is um, is a valid experience that someone it, someone who's alive can can choose to experience. I don't know. It's I'm having a hard time rationalizing what he's saying. I guess. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think we were kind of touching on this earlier, but. They think life is worth continuing because death is bad, but life is not worth starting. <laughs> because not so death is also bad. So it's that's why they're not pro suicide or anything. Sure. You're just making the best of it while you're here, but it's just not worth starting. But if you're here already, uh, you want to continue it because death is worse. But non-existence is better than death. How? Okay, so here I at like my lowest lows. Yeah have thought, would I do this again? Life. Sure. And in those low moments, obviously, my answer is, I don't think I would. Yeah. Like this, like, because I I really do agree with the, I think the suffering, your worst suffering is more painful than the joy you get from the happiest moments of your life. I would probably agree with that, or it's more profound of a feeling. Um. I don't know if like it lasts me more time or anything, but I think it's a worse feeling. Like I would sacrifice the highest of highs so as to never feel the lowest of lows. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, but then I th- like I try to think about that question when I'm in a better place. Like right now, 
I mean, honestly, I don't know if I like generally like would I recommend life to them. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Five out of five. <laughs> kind of crazy down there sometimes. Um, but I don't. Review. I don't mean that in like a nihilistic, pessimistic, no. like suicidal way. I and honestly, like, it's also hard right now. I think to have a good perspective on this coming out of COVID, yes. a year of I haven't done anything and I haven't seen friends and it's like not been the healthiest year mentally, right. For yeah. a lot of people. So I, I, I'm probably, my mind's a little skewed thinking about it now, but I do try to put myself in like, one of my happiest moments is when I'm with friends, it's when I've been traveling and like, it brings me the greatest joy, but it is true. Those are just interruptions of the monotony of doing the nine to five because I have to, to survive. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I know the feeling you're talking about very well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I also know, like, one thing you hinted at is that people who, um, I, mean, I guess I shouldn't say people, but speaking for myself, when I've been at the lowest of lows, like, it's not about wanting to be dead. It's about not wanting to be alive. So it's wanting to not suffer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, um, I don't, yeah, I don't. Oh, you're right. This was going to get heavy, but like, <laughs> I've never been you know, like the situations when I've been closest to doing something very harmful to myself. Um, yeah, it's always been in, from the perspective of I just I don't want to feel this anymore. You know, it's it's not that it's it's not that life is terrible. It's that my life is just not worth being a part of at this point. I just want to remove myself from the situation. Um, so I, I understand that, um, but I think on like on the other side of it, and maybe this is me just self-deluding myself, maybe I am, as, as he might say, right? Like, um, but I, I actually don't feel that the lowest of the lows overrides the feelings of happiness. I feel it's the opposite, that like those moments of happiness make it all worth it now. And maybe that's just my perspective now, having, this is going to sound so cliche but like having a two-year-old son well you like you've you told me like not just a story at the beginning but i remember you imed me i don't know a couple weeks ago that you were just lying on the couch and he came up unprompted and just laid his head on you and you said that might have been the happiest moment of your life and i can totally see that he is pure unadulterated goodness that child is adorable and you guys are just teaching him all the love he is love he's just learning i get it he is just pure like a wholesome little sponge. Yeah. So I mean, like, um, first of all, my kid's better than yours. Whoever you listen, who's ever. <laughs> uh, it's true. Yeah, he has a pretty cute kid. He's, he's pretty perfect. But no, but like, you know, like, so right, like, it's hard for me to to separate other happy memories out because that's like those are the ones I go to now. But like, for me, I feel confident saying all my bad moments were worth it if it's for those ones, <laughs> right. right? So so that's where it's like, I feel, I think that's why I feel de- like, there's a thing more about this. It's why I feel defensive listening to this um, in that it's, it's really f- annoying, honestly, to hear someone say, you're not as happy as you think you are. You are coping. <laughs> <laughs> it's right? just like, a coping mechanism. Right? Like, you're not actually happy. Yeah. And, and I think, I think what I struggle with hearing that specifically is that I know what it feels like to me on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you do as well, and I empathize with people who do feel that way. I don't. I don't at all doubt that that is 
people who in who are in those situations or or even if people who aren't but lean more towards that situation than towards like you know pure unadulterated happiness um that that's their perspective and i i think that's valid but it is a little a little um i guess uh i don't even know the word but it's a little paternalistic i guess to tell me kind of or condescending to say well you're not actually feeling the way you are it to, to if i have a different perspective right like and i think i think you're right pointing out kind of the extremes of unadulterated happiness versus the lowest of lows but i think a lot of antinatalists fall into just the middle middle ground mm-hmm. of you're not necessarily in a suicidal place you're not necessarily in the right. most depressed state and honestly this guy I mean, I don't know if he would describe himself as depressed um, or if he has any mental illness, but I think it's just this idea of like neutrality, like your day to day life. Like think about the majority of your time at work, right? For most of us, that's what we get up and do. And that's what life perpetuates you towards. You go to school to go to another school to work all day for the rest of your life, more or less. And then you hopefully get to retire when you're old enough to really not do anything or enjoy life anymore. So, so (laughs) there's my pessimism. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I I don't want to get too into the political weeds of this, but I mean, there's, there's absolutely some symmetry to what he's saying to some movements, which are, you know, some of the anti-capitalist movements, there's symmetry to, let's say, your transcendentalists, right? Um, who who are finding meaning in things that weren't <laughs> the the nine to five job. So, do we see overlap in people who follow this to like, you know, either either from a political philosophy trying to break away from what they see as the constrictions of capitalism, or you know, just a different kind of philosophy on how you how you how life would be spent if it if it wasn't tied down to kind of the the world that we've created for ourselves? I'm not 100% sure, and I didn't see that explicitly mentioned, but I can just tell you browsing message boards, a common theme was around, like, working. And mm-hmm. so I, I think it's fair to say there's an anti-capitalist sentiment, yeah. um, which is fair. And uh, How does that work, though, for, like, animals? <laughs> that's a good question. I think it's more just the, it goes back to the, the symmetry thing, those four tenets of um, presence of pain is bad and animals yeah. will go through pain. And he also said, you know, we don't learn as a society, as a generation. Yeah, we're getting happier and things are getting better in some regards, but, you know, there's always going to be an ongoing war somewhere, mm-hmm. an, a climate crisis, uh, something happening um, and you just, we don't learn is kind of his argument and it's always kind of a terrible place. Yeah. This earth apparently, you know, and, um, I, I mean, I, I understand, like, I, I just feel this is, a, it's a philosophical battle of like, is it things that aren't perfectly good are therefore bad <laughs> or are things that are mostly good, good, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, because I, I definitely know people, um, who are kind of continually frustrated by the imperfections of things. Um, you know, that if, if something isn't, if there is a flaw to something, if there's something that goes wrong or whatever, it's hard for them to remove themselves or see it in totality, right? The holistic view of it does is shattered at that point. 
um, because the negative is what, what they're all that they can focus on. Um, so I, I kind of like, that's kind of the, how I hear it, I guess. Um, not, it's not a perspective I share, at least not today. <laughs> um, but I, I think I kind of recognize that pattern in what he's saying uh, or what they're saying, I guess. Right. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Um, so you want a fun fact? I um, do. Yeah, lighten this up. <laughs> lighten life up. is a depressing grind that we all should <laughs> never have existed in. <laughs> I mean, uh, I didn't consent to this. Um, no one asked me. <laughs> no one asked me either. <laughs> About you, I mean. <laughs> in 2019, a 27-year-old Indian man sued his parents for being born. This. It was not our decision to be born, he told the BBC. Human existence is totally pointless. And uh, it was just um, kind of a virtue signaling in a way. Um that he only sued them for a single rupee. Okay. So it wasn't like a ton of money. It was just the the act and making a point. But I think the court threw it out because they said this is a waste of our time. <laughs> um, but I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that story. Um, Mom, dad, it, lawyers come in your way. <laughs> it's an interesting way to, uh, like, there's a lot of ways to live your truth, to, you know, to live your philosophy litigiously is not one that you normally <laughs> expect to, uh, but yeah, good for him. Yeah. Um, and then there's, again, this is on definitely the extreme end and I would not say as representative yeah. of the movement, but people who are antinatalists have launched a group, um, called V H E M T. V-H-E-M-T. The Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. Okay. And it's not, again, suicide. It's yeah, yeah, people yeah. choosing not to procreate. And I will tell you a story. Um, a few years ago, a friend, I think I've told you this, a friend and I, we were kind of positing, are people who are put in positions of power, and if you get into positions of power, do people just inevitably abuse it? Because I think we were talking about systemic racism and misogyny, right? Like, obviously, men and white people have done, you know, a lot of abuse of power uh, after holding it for quite some time. So I think we were talking about what would happen if women were in power? Would women inevitably abuse it? And we kind of talked about how with men, you can naturally abuse your power because generally speaking, you're larger. So that yeah, makes from, sense. You're talking about from a physical perspective. From a physical perspective. Yeah. Um, with racism, that was done through a number of ways, but institutionally. So it's like if women were in power and they abused it, how would they do it? And we're talking about how, well, what's the one thing women can do that men can't? And it's give birth. So we decided <laughs> that if women were ever to be in power and abuse their power, um, the the most extreme thing they could do would be choosing not to procreate mm. and mass genocide via self-sterilization of all women. So um, it seemed pretty mind-blowing at the time. Yeah. And it was like a 45-minute conversation to get us there. But <laughs> So it was just this fantasy where men didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, I'm just over men. Yeah. There's, a, there's a couple of... Um, 
for, for any listeners who are interested in that. Um, I know, and I think you and I, I, I do remember vaguely we were talking about this and you had a, there was a book recommendation, I think that you had tied to this. Um, I can't remember what the book was though. About this topic? Uh, well, no, about, um, what would happen if kind of men didn't exist and, and there were, I can't, what I was trying to say is I, I can think of two pieces of literature or I got literature is a stretch in some of this, but um, there's a graphic novel called why the last man, which a, uh, a story about a, a man who ends up being the last male on earth after kind of a global extinction event. That's right. And it's only, uh, only women are around and, um, it, and they kind of go through, um, it's somewhat of a similar exploration of what it would look like to not have a society that was, or I mean, the society was founded originally on patriarchal, uh, patriarchal and a patriarchal structure, but what happens when women took it over? Um, and, and he's kind of living through as the only man in the society. Um, similarly, um, eh, it's somewhat of a spoiler. So for those of you who haven't read this book, but there's a, a book called that explores the idea yeah of what would to some I mean, kind of towards the end of the book but it talks about what would happen um if all of humanity died essentially right with the exception of seven women um who then would need to kind of re re um procreate the earth using without a man well yeah donor donor sperm like gotcha. frozen sperm okay. um, and so forth but um how what society you know these, these are seven very different women from different backgrounds um different races different education levels different cultural backgrounds um and kind of the if you think of those as like almost like this like seven tribes like what yeah. would happen over time as um but the, to the human race as it kind of repopulated from there so it was a kind of interesting cause it kind of flew off the rails at the end honestly but <laughs> i'm kind of intrigued by it. It, it yeah it's it's a fascinating um fascinating idea um so can i ask you because talk you know i promise we'll end this on a positive note but i remember my mom said to me not too long ago that sometimes she wonders if having a child was the right choice and it wasn't about me, but she's like, because of the ongoing climate crisis and I think it was maybe around the insurrection, um, just with everything crazy going on, just like what kind of world am I raising my child in? And I think that's probably every parent's concern, but I think it always feels that way to some extent, like isn't objectively the world is becoming a better place. Am I making that up? Like we're more technologically advanced. Um, Poverty's at its lowest levels, I believe. Global poverty, yeah. Global poverty. I, I think it's it depends on your metric, right? Like, and because it's super subjective, right? And I, I mean, I think it is be it is in the aggregate better to be born today than nearly any point in human history, right? Um, uh, in terms of your, you know, likely your, your general lifespan, your general level of poverty um or lack of poverty and so forth right so um but that doesn't mean for individuals it, it's not great or that it's always great right right um i can say as a parent um i feel like i live a fairly comfortable life i'm very fortunate that way um and i feel you know we're we're comfortable and able to provide for our son and again feel very fortunate about that but we certainly had discussions of the same, like we, yeah. we had those same fears. Like 
what is what has happened in the world? What is our world going to look like when he is our age, yeah. right? <laughs> and what challenges will he face? And is it is that okay? Like, so I I do understand a, a lot of where this is coming from. I think the way I rationalize myself out of that, well, rationalize is a, I guess a <laughs> is is a word you can debate, but you know, I my parents had me at the tail end of the Cold War right? Like when we were on still on the brink of nuclear annihilation of the whole human species, much yeah. less the world, um, they were, they were born following the greatest human atrocities in recorded history. Um, and, and the greatest global war events, right? Yeah. The boomer generation. Um, and I, you know, there was generations going back to when, in, at least in Western world slavery, I mean, I get today, it's still common in certain areas, unfortunately, but you know, um, in, in the Americas where <laughs> half of it was, um, half of the population or whatever was enslaved or, or more of it. I don't know, really, I, I don't, don't have enough of my civil war knowledge at hand, but, um, the point is like, I think at any point in human history, we can identify some terrible things that are happening that you would question, is this the right time and place to have a child? Right. Right. And I also think history is better documented now. So it's. And with the internet, knowledge is ubiquitous, so it's easy to take in more of that knowledge that you would otherwise be sheltered from and not necessarily know about. Um, it's in your face. It, oh, it's yeah. relentless yeah. all the time. It really is. Even when things are fine here, like with what's going on in Myanmar, in Colombia, right. it's it's awful. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always there's always something. Yeah, and, and not and not to say that those things. It's like ah, there's always something. Who cares, <laughs> right? That and I don't. That's not my intent. But, um, but as a parent, it's it's not what's prevented me from continuing the unbroken chain of genetic, um, the passing genet passing genes since the time we were like single celled organisms. You know, to the to my son, right? Like right. I I don't I it hasn't been enough to cut me off from those millions of years of evolutionary history. <laughs> yeah. And I also think kind of one of my criticisms would be we are, I mean, you could debate this if you want to talk about the existence of extraterrestrial life, but let's just assume we're the most, let's assume we're the only sentient like human type species out there. We are, unfortunately, the epitome of evolution. <laughs> Why would you just want to end that? Like, right. Hope God, I hope we get better. But um, I mean, one of the arguments, though, is that each generation is trying to make a better life right. than the one like their childhood, no matter how good it was. And I think that's, you know, there's always going to be exceptions. But I think that's a common theme. Everyone is just doing the best they can. And I think they're always trying to do a little bit better than what they had yeah, absolutely. Um, for their kids. So is would their argument be kind of fatalistic that? They would, because you said they acknowledge that people are getting happy or whatever, but they still stand by their perspective. So whether they say basically, it doesn't matter because you're never going to, you're never going to be, make life worth living, no matter how hard you try. I think so. That's where I would have to do a lot more research because, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think I could wrap my mind around some of those, yeah. what I would consider a whole, but they had kind of arguments for everything, um, which, which felt logical quite right. honestly right they're consistent yeah, yeah. They're, they're very consistent and um 
Yeah, I don't I don't want to do it a disservice by misremembering or mis misstating yeah. what their intention is. I don't I don't think that like I, I, I kinda wanna make sure like I'm conveying it correctly. Like I don't think that they're crazy or crackpots or whatever, right? Like I think I have a fundamental philosophical disagreement mm-hmm. and it becomes they're, they they would probably and and maybe not incorrectly point out that, that it is because I am so determined to tell myself I'm happy. But what's wrong with that? I, exactly. That's that would be my answer, right? Like, like what is wrong with that? It, it, right. What like, are you supposed to do? Wallow in misery? If they are right that life is more bad than it is good, what is the logical conclusion? You're just unhappy all the time. And I don't think they would leap to that. No, I think they're yeah. just saying it is factually, objectively. <laughs> more bad than it's good yeah and i remember i stumbled upon this because you know we're at the age you know you have a a lovely two-year-old i love your kid i am happy to be the fun auntie um and i love kids but i myself don't want kids so on reddit um i follow a subreddit uh true child free because there's one that's like super toxic where it's clear people just hate kids and (laughs) it's awful but it's a good community just to kind of see um other people in my age range sinks and dinks sinks and dinks yes (laughs) Uh, sinks and dinks single income that's what double income no kid yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and just you know what that how that what that's like as all your friends kind of go through this life change and you're mm-hmm. not a part of it and what that's like. So it's a nice community to have. And I think the antinatalism subreddit was recommended to me. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and again, not, not everyone's beliefs are so extreme, but it was quite interesting to read through just that, the the rationale behind it and my reason for not wanting kids it's multifaceted there's a lot of reasons for it there's no one reason but i would say like one part of it is what we talked about of just what is the world coming to what will it be like would i put someone (laughs) would i put someone through this um but maybe just more so i really think of the core like i just don't want to be a parent like that's really my driver if you can believe it. Um, <laughs> what time did you get up today? What time did I? Well, I had to work, so I was up at 7.30. Okay, fair. Um, ask me on Saturday. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like sleeping in. Kill yeah. me. Uh, shoot me. Um, I do, too. But I don't get to. You're never going to again. <laughs> Would you say you identify by any kind of philosophy on life so i mean there's antinatalism there's uh existentialism there's nihilism those are the three (laughs) those are it that's it those are the three you can identify would you put yourself in any bucket because you would say you're agnostic as well right would you call that a philosophy like how would would you say you fall into i guess a definition of the meaning of life in terms of philosophy or religion um i don't know that i could self identify that but stoicism maybe um can you define that no (laughs) (laughs) um but but just the idea that like um how you endure life um you know i think like it's i don't i hate to, to talk about to talk about this like i don't disagree that life can be really hard and there can be challenges and there can be a lot of negatives and that oftentimes the 
the lack of pleasure or whatever, however you want to find that is, is deafening and crushing. Um, but I'm here to make your life better. I make everyone's life better around me. But you find ways around it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you ignored that one yeah, already. No. But no, but you find ways to endure it. Um, and then and and kind of you know don't let the lows bring you too low. You let the highs bring you too high, and then you kind of find that balanced middle ground. And I think in that balance is how I've kind of been able to work through um, my challenges, at least personally, and uh, find find life that is worth living every day. And for what it's worth, uh, I love being auntie to your son and I can't wait to watch him grow up and I'm going to impart nothing but amazing things and philosophies onto him. I swear to God, if you teach him about lunars. (laughs) (laughs) And that's antinatalists. Do you have an obscure subculture we should know about? Or a unique approach to life that's hopefully a little less dark than antinatalism? If so, you can find us on Instagram at SubscurityPodcast. Our Twitter handle is at SubscurityPod. And our website is Subscurity.com. Our intro and outro is instrumental of We're Better Together by Go Mordecai. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.